Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I'm by myself today. Very sorry. You know who's most, more sorry than I am? It's Charlie, because he's the one who isn't here. He does have a sick kid, and I can confirm that that is a true story, because I'm the one that texted Charlie last night when I was babysitting his kid and said, hey, your kid's got like 102 temperature right now. What do you want me to do about this? I don't know how to work kids. Like, I don't, I don't know what you do when a kid is sick. No no clue at all. Uh, so that basically just did nothing and everything ended up fine. But Charlie couldn't be here today. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. And if you want to hang out live with us every single day of the week when we want to, then go to joingml.com. Pay as little as $6 a month so you can hang out in the private Discord server with us. Hang out with all these fine people on both sides. We got some real libertarians. We got some fake libertarians, all that good stuff. So go and hang out. But we got a lot to talk about today, this weird FBI raid that I saw over the weekend. So we're going to need to talk about the FBI raid. We got a pretty funny Joe Biden tweet and a funny Nina Turner tweet that I just can't wait until Friday for these things. We'll have plenty more things for Friday's Dumb Bleep episode uh, the UK is cutting taxes, going with more of that darned old trickle-down economics, which is definitely a real thing. So we'll talk about that. And Italy, it seems, has a new fascist dictator. And so we'll talk about that, or at least what everyone is saying so far. And that's probably going to be enough for one single show. So let's start off with this whole FBI agents raiding this guy's house. Uh, really, really weird story. But from the blaze, 25 FBI agents with guns drawn reportedly raid a pro-life activist home facing 11 years now for pushing a man outside of an abortion clinic. Not that he, he was in there and he pushed him outside of the clinic. He pushed someone while they were both outside of the clinic. So a pro-life activist and author had his home raided by as many as 30 FBI agents with guns drawn, according to his wife. The sidewalk counselor and father of seven now faces up to 11 years in federal prison for allegedly pushing a man to the ground outside of an abortion clinic in Pennsylvania nearly a year ago. Nearly a year ago. So... On October 13th, 2021, I'm going to say Hauk. I don't know if it's Hoke or Hauk. It's H-O-U-C-K. So we're going to say Hauk. Hauk allegedly went to Sidewalk Council at the Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. Now, Sidewalk Council, I'm imagining, is when they stand outside of the clinic and they try to uh, convince people to not have the abortion. So kind of in the anti-abortion or pro-life 
protest or counseling or act, activist, whatever you want to call it. He brought his eldest son with him, who was 12 at the time, an abortion clinic volunteer, whose name was Bruce Love, uh, got into an altercation with Hauk. Hauk's uh, wife claimed that her husband was on the sidewalk of the abortion clinic, not on the property to Planned Parenthood. His wife claimed that uh, Love, now this is a person who we pushed, got into their son's personal space, refused to stop saying really crude, inappropriate, and disgusting comments at the father, and Mark Hauk shoved him away from his child. The guy fell back, and he hit the ground. And so that, that is what happened. The guy reportedly had some injuries. The guy he pushed was 72 years old. And apparently was up in his 12-year-old son's face. The police were called at the time, but they said that there was a lack of evidence that there was an assault. Kind of a he said, he said thing. But around 7.05 a.m. on Friday, I did just want to cover this even though it happened on Friday, his home was reportedly raided by 25 to 30 FBI agents and 15 government vehicles surrounded their house. They had their guns drawn, and they pounded on the door. And they came in with their rifles, pointed, kids are screaming, all kinds of terrible stuff. Now, okay, let's just take that right there. They did call the cops when the original altercation happened. They said that there wasn't any evidence that there was an assault. Okay, so they did look into this whole thing. What I'm trying to figure out is, Let's just say that they did, in fact, violate this federal law, which is called the FACE Act. Um, <laughs> Dan, that's good. I do try to keep up with the comments as I'm going, even though I am by myself. Magoo, why isn't your name in yellow? That's weird. Thanks for bringing that to the attention of the staff. I will, take, I will have someone take care of that for you. Your name is supposed to be in yellow, Magoo, because you're a real libertarian. Okay. In what world do you need 25 to 30 armed FBI agents to conduct an early morning raid of a person's house because a year ago they pushed someone outside of a building? That's the situation. There was an altercation. Someone was pushed. They fell back. Uh, Maybe they hit their head or whatever. A year ago. And now we need 25 to 30 armed FBI agents conducting a raid at 7 o'clock in the morning while you got your seven kids and your wife in the house. That's it. Why? Someone just tell me why. So here's the deal. I know what you're thinking. Well, they already they already looked at whether or not there was a crime committed, right? Well, the problem is he also likely violated a federal law. So he is facing a maximum sentence of 11 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and fines of up to $350,000. U.S. Attorney Jacqueline Romero said, quote, assault is always a serious offense, and under the FACE Act, the FACE Act, if the victim is targeted because of their association with a reproductive health care clinic, it is a federal crime. So the FACE Act specifically prohibits force or threat of force or by physical obstruction intentionally injures intimidates or interferes with or attempts to injure intimidate or interfere with any person because that person is or has been or in order to intimidate such person or any other person or any class of persons from obtaining or providing reproductive health 
services. Did you guys catch all that inside of the FACE Act? The Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances. That's right. It's got its very own act. This is an act to protect the entrances of abortion clinics. Now, a a business, you should be able to get into a business if you want to. As you know, the DOJ, very concerned with protesters interfering with people's business, as they always have been, I am sure. And they've got their own act right here. And so even though the local police said, well, there's no proof that there was really any crime committed here. Well, the feds are coming in and saying, yeah, you violated this federal law called the FACE Act. And this crime of pushing someone to the ground was so heinous that it required 25 to 30 armed FBI agents storming your house at 7 a.m. in the morning while your kids and your wife are all in the house. That's, uh, that's awesome, everyone. No, it's actually not awesome. It's pretty gross. It's, uh, this, this is clearly... Now, as, as I keep emphasizing, why do you need this many armed personnel trying to take down someone who shoved someone to the ground allegedly a year ago? Could you not have pulled him over sometime when he was on his way to work? Maybe you could have gone to another abortion clinic and arrested him there for the crime. Like, are you afraid that he was going to run? Are you afraid that... He was going to be too dangerous to take him down on the street. Looking at the guy, I wouldn't exactly guess that that's the case or anything. Uh, but no, you got to conduct this unannounced raid on his house at 7 a.m. in the morning. This is a fear tactic for people. This is not an abortion conversation that I'm meaning to have right now. All right, you're probably fixed on whatever your views on that. This is a retaliatory fear tactic because of what is going on with abortion and the law and the Supreme Court around the country. This is the administration showing that they are going to be tough on pro-life people, that they are going to be in support of abortion in any way that they can. And this is nothing more than a fear campaign to try and stop people from uh, sidewalk counseling, whatever it is that they want to call it. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty gross. They should not be. I'm sure that they have more important things to deal with. I, I'm just, I'm just saying that they got to have more important stuff. The FBI, they got to have something more important to deal with. They could have sent a couple guys in a car to arrest this guy easily. The raid, the threat of storming your house with armed personnel. That is the point of this story. It is to instill fear in anyone who is going to go against whatever it is that they want at the moment. All right, so that's story number one. Let's roll through here. Speaking of Joe Biden, Joseph R. Biden. Here's a pretty funny tweet that I'm just not going to wait until Friday to talk about. This was from Friday, so this is kind of a recap. Every single, this is from his Twitter, every single Republican in Congress voted against the Inflation Reduction Act. That's right. When it came time to actually do something about inflation, Republicans said no. Once again, every single Republican voted against the Inflation Reduction Act. And when it came time to actually do something about inflation, Republicans said no. So we take this lie about the Inflation Reduction Act. We get all the... I mean, they, they literally, they take something, they name it Inflation Reduction Act. It doesn't have anything in it that's actually going to reduce inflation. We, we know that part. That's 
pretty clearly obvious. Even a lot of people on the left have said that. Heck, Bernie Sanders said that. Said that it's not going to do anything to reduce inflation. Okay, so we know that part. Well, they got to take the lie and they got to run with it. And they got to keep saying it. Now, people blaming Biden a lot for the inflation that we have. He's got a big part of the blame. So do previous presidents who signed trillions of dollars into law that we didn't have. Okay, there's a lot of blame on both sides right here. But now that people are blaming Biden, we're coming up on the midterms. We get to take the Inflation Reduction Act, which is named for an act that does not reduce inflation, and say when it came time to actually do something about inflation. Republicans, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it. The problem is, Joe, the Inflation Reduction Act doesn't actually reduce inflation. All right? This this type of stuff, it sickens me because they are flat out lying, and they know it, and most of the people that are even on their side know it. You're hard-pressed to find someone that will tell you how it's going to, in, to reduce inflation other than just saying the name. That's all you got to do. Well, let's look at the uh, Penn Wharton budget model right here, some of the key points. They estimate the $248 billion reduction in accumulated deficits over the 10-year budget versus $305, uh, which is what the CBO said. So really small difference. CBO and PWBM, Penn Wharton budget model, Use different economic baseline. CBO's baseline, uh, they say, is from June 20, July 2021. So they're talking about why their CBO and PWBM's estimations are a little bit different. The impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero for either estimate. That's either the Penn Wharton or the CBO. With the first five years, CBO estimates $21 billion in accumulated deficit reduction over the same period. However, payments to liquidity-constrained households, including Affordable Care Act subsidies, exceed total deficit reduction, with the sum mostly paid by entities and households that are not liquidity-constrained. So uh, they're going to spend the money that they are saving, and it's going to be paid for uh, by the people. It's simply not going to reduce inflation. We literally just live in a time where the people that are in charge have become completely okay. I know that they've always pretty much been okay, but completely okay with just flat out lying, just flat out propaganda. It's, it's kind of scary stuff. It's gross and it's scary and I don't like it. And all we can do is just continue to call it out. That's the most that we can do. All right, Nina Turner. This was a head scratcher at first when I first read this. I honestly couldn't figure out what she was saying. And I read it again. I read it again today. And I was like, holy crap, this is worse than I thought. So she had tweeted, I cannot, for the life of me, understand why insulin costs anything more than zero dollars. It's inhumane. So there's one all in itself, but then she added to this thing. I cannot for the life of me understand why insulin costs anything more than zero dollars. It's inhumane. <clears throat> well, I will agree with her that she does not understand it. I will give her that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that resources cost money. Time and resources cost money because it takes the labor of individuals to create these things. So that's why it costs more than zero dollars, because it's not actually free. All right. Um, now, she probably means why it costs to you anything 
Of course, the people who make this stuff, they're going to get paid for it, but why does it cost you any money? That, of course, goes along the lines of the fact that the government can pay for things and it won't cost you any money, even though the government gets their money from you. So somehow, the government is going to take money from you and pay for something, and it's not going to cost you anything. And if you can make that work out in your head then you probably hope that Nina Turner makes it in the higher office someday. If you can't make that work out, then you probably understand why this is a head-scratcher to me, because the next thing she said was, And before you say, quote, nothing is free, ask yourself if you support reparations. Now this one is going to take a second to wrap our minds around. Before you say nothing is free, Ask yourself if you support reparations. Now, at first, I'll be 100% honest. I didn't have a damn clue what she was talking about. I was like, what do those things have to do with one another? I'm not picking up what you're putting down. I'm not smelling what you're stepping in. Any of those. Here's what she's saying. Before you say nothing is free, ask yourself if you support reparations. Okay. The, the slave labor was done without compensation. This is what I ended up landing on here. Slave labor was done without compensation. Now, her argument for reparations is that that work needs to be compensated. All right? And if you don't believe that we should have reparations, then what you're saying is that things should be free. You, not supporting reparations is you saying that things can be free, like the labor of slaves. Okay, now there's one independent argument on its own, but now you apply it to what she just said. She is saying that insulin should be free. What she just tied to being free was the labor of the slaves and the things that they produced. And she's saying, well, if you don't think we should have reparations, which is paying for the labor of the slaves, well, then you clearly believe that things can be free. Also, things should be free. Meaning, she knows that she's going to use slavery to pay for those things. They're just going to call it something else. I don't know if everyone went... Yeah, exactly. She's literally making an argument in favor of slavery. Taxation is slavery. And she just made the argument right there. And I screenshot it before that somehow accidentally occurs in her head someday and she deletes those tweets. But that is literally the case that she just made. She wants things to be free. She just said that the labor of the slaves was free. And you should support reparations to pay people back for that. If you don't support reparations and you think, you think things should be free, also insulin should be free. She supports slavery. Boom. Nailed it. Killed it, Nina. I couldn't wait for Friday, although I know that that should be a dumb bleep winner. It really should be. Uh, but there's no way I'm going to wait on that one, especially since it was from last Friday when she said that. Okay, let's talk about this thing in the UK. Why do, why do we care what's going on in the UK? Well, we care because of the ideas and the philosophy, the philosophy behind what they're doing and what the U.S. news publications are writing about what the UK is doing. 
right now. You know that they have a new prime minister. This is from CNBC. The UK government dishes out extensive tax cuts as the country braces for recession. The new UK government announced a sweeping program of tax cuts and investment incentives Friday as Prime Minister Liz Truss seeks to boost the country's faltering economic growth. Finance Minister Kwasi Kwarteng, I think that was pretty good, said the government wanted a new approach for an era focused on growth and was targeting a medium-term 2.5% trend rate in economic growth. We believe high taxes reduce incentives to work, deter investment, and hinder enterprise, the finance minister said. Okay, I like that. Here's some of what they're doing. Here's uh, some of the measures they're talking about. Cancellation of a planned rise in the corporate tax rate. They were going to raise it to 25%. They're going to keep it at 19%, which they point out is the lowest rate in the G20. I actually did not realize that. 19% is what they got. Huh. How about that? So they're going to raise it to 25 Not raising the taxes to 25 from 19 is a tax cut just in case everyone wasn't following along right there. A reversal on the recent 1.25% rise in the national insurance contributions, which is a tax on people's income. A reduction in the basic rate of income tax from 20 pence to 19 pence, and I had no idea how they worked that out. Scrapping, plus what's a pence? I don't know. Scrapping of the 45% tax paid on incomes over $166,000 U.S., and they're going to take that down to 40 this is kind of a big one here. A lot of people have said about, of course, the corporate rate and now this top income tax bracket. They're going to lower that from 45% down to 40%. Now, what people also should take note in the U.S. also with that corporate tax rate as well, uh, when people talk about some of the things that they have in the U.K. or different parts of Europe, people talk about Sweden, Denmark, all those places, uh, they got a lower corporate tax than we do. And if you make over $166,000 a year, you are in the tippy top tax bracket. And so now they are talking about reducing that from 45% down to 40%. Significant cuts to the stamp duty, a tax paid on home purchases, those Brits and their damn stamp acts, a network of investment zones around the UK where businesses will be offered tax cuts, liberalized planning rules, and a reduction in regulatory obstacles. So they got these freedom, economic freedom zones. Okay, that sounds pretty good. I'd like it to be extended everywhere, but hey, let's try it out in some places. That's fine. So yeah, they're going to have these investment zones, tax cuts, uh, faster planning rules, and reduction in regulatory obstacles. That's pretty good. They got a claim back scheme for sales taxes paid by tourists. I guess they want to incentivize some tourism. They want to scrap an increase in tax rates on various alcohols. And they are going to scrap a cap on bankers bonuses. This law brought to you by the bankers who want their bonuses. Of course, that's, uh, that's all that's happening right here. No, overall, I, I, I like all that stuff. 
Okay, I didn't see any zero percents in there for the taxes. That's what I would uh, really like to see. But I do see some tax reductions in there. I see that they were going to raise the corporate tax rate, and they're not going to. They're going to keep it where it is. They're going to give some areas around the country more economic freedom than others. So uh, maybe a nice little experiment there. So the government estimates the tax cuts will total 45 billion pounds by 2026 to 2027. That's roughly, I don't know, like $50 billion. Maybe not quite that much. Possibly. Maybe it's less than that. I don't know. Who knows anymore? It's okay. So quote, it's half a century since we've seen tax cuts announced on this scale, said Paul Johnson, director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies. Now, the pound fell to a fresh 37-year low against the dollar uh, in the hours after the announcement. And Paul Johnson, the guy who we just quoted, said that markets are spooked by the scale of the fiscal giveaway. Fiscal giveaway. What am I going to say now? Uh, it's not giving away stuff when you decide to take less stuff from people. It's completely ridic ridiculous. I'm sick of people saying it. You getting to keep more of your own stuff is not you getting a giveaway because the government does not own you. Regardless of whatever Nina Turner thinks or other people, you are not the government's slave. They do not own you. You own yourself. And only by the, the goodwill of you for not overthrowing them do you allow them to take some of your income before enough of you and your friends go and throw all their damn tea into the water out there somewhere. All right? That, that is why they get to take some money from you. They don't own your money. And so when they decide to take less money from you, that is not them giving you money. That is a insanely ridiculous idea. And we, we do not need to argue from that standpoint. Although, one of the critiques in here, it is accurate, I would say, critics of the proposals warn that the combination of extensive tax cuts and the government's plan to shield households and businesses from soaring energy prices will see the UK take on high levels of debt at a time of rising rates. The energy support package is expected to cost more than $111 billion over two years. Now, that is an accurate critique. That, however, is not an argument for keeping taxes where they are or for raising taxes. The argument is that you do not spend that money. You can't say, well, we are going to spend a, a bunch of other people's money, so therefore we need to forcefully take a bunch of money from other people. There's no way that we can let people keep their own money because we have already decided that we were going to spend their money on stuff. Now, they are correct that increasing your budget and then decreasing your receipts initially will likely end up with higher receipts, but uh, on the front end, it's probably going to be lower. So it's going to look pretty bad for a couple years. And, uh, and this is one of the arguments that people make like uh, about the Trump tax cuts. We cut taxes. Now we are taking in the highest corporate tax receipts that we've ever taken in. Um, we cut the taxes and then they increased the budget yet again. Those tax cuts need to be coupled with decreases in spending. We're not going to be able to have it both ways. But the dollar or the pound, sorry, went down a bunch. Yeah, because they are increasing their spending. They're saying that on the front end, at least, they're probably going to take in less money because they're reducing the taxes. That growth is going to take a while. 
to filter out into the economy and filter back up to the government. And so it's going to take some time for that to happen. Uh, so they're going to take in less money on the front end. It's going to look worse and they're going to have to finance that. They're going to have to borrow money and that's going to make their currency less valuable and the rates are up higher and everything like that right now. So yeah, they're the pound going down. That's why it's, that's why it's happening right now. Plus we're kind of in the middle of a recession and the whole world, all the economies around the world are going down at the moment. The problem with stuff like this, when you get into this, uh, let's cut taxes and spur more growth and we'll take in more money on the back end. You got to hold true to that for a bit. Here is what is uh, potential to happen because they're going to be increasing their expenses. That's going to make stuff look really bad for a couple of years. It's going to take time for this to actually work for a business to decide, Hey, they've got lower taxes in this area. So I'm going to start a business. Well, it, then it takes years for that business to actually be making money. And so before you actually see any returns from that, it's going to be years. And unfortunately, the problem here is that it typically goes through more than an election cycle. So therefore, people are less likely to do it because you're not going to see the benefits of your plan for quite some time. In fact, the people after you are going to see the benefits of your plan and they're going to take credit for it, like Bill Clinton. So <laughs> just kidding. I know there's a lot more complicated than that. But uh, that's always the problem. They could end up looking at it saying that this isn't going to work and we need to go back. We need to raise the taxes. We need to do the same thing that we've been doing. Unfortunately, I, I hope that's not what they end up doing, but it's, uh, it's possible. It's definitely possible. Well, let's stay across the pond here for a minute. So in Italy, Georgia Maloney is going to be the new prime minister. I will tell you right now, I know nothing about Georgia Maloney, but I'm pretty sure that she's not a fascist. How do I know that she's probably not a fascist? Because every single news outlet out there in the world is telling me that she's a fascist. And so unfortunately, it probably means uh, that they're all lying. And fortunately, I would say fortunately, that means that she's not a fascist. Now, let me just show you, let me show you some of the stuff. I'm sure you've seen plenty of it. And we're going to play her speech, which you won't be able to understand, but I will read it for you. Here's one from, this looks like AP, how a party of, neo, how a party of neo-fascist roots won big in Italy. Roots. How a party of neo-fascist roots won big in Italy from ABC News. Say so they all passed around the same thing. This was basically the memo that got sent out to everyone. So they all pushed this out there. Yeah, they're reposting from the AP. Oh, here's from uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. How a far-right party with neo-fascist roots won big in Italy. Uh, here's another one from some random weather. This is on MSM. First far-right leader in decades. Is fascism returning to Italy? Okay. And, of course, let's not forget the Atlantic they just went ahead and went for it. Uh, we're not asking questions. We don't need a question mark in our article title. The return of fascism in Italy. They're going to go ahead and call it. So what do we know about Georgia Maloney? Nothing. We don't know anything. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about the party that she is in or about her because it's hard enough trying to keep up with all the stuff that's going on here in the U.S., 
And I'm just going to tell you honestly right now, I didn't do all the homework to tell you whether or not she is in fact a brutal fascist dictator or whatever all of these outlets want you to think that she is. Here is the problem for all of these news outlets that I just read. And we've talked about this problem several times because the mostly left-wing media outlets have made a career out of crime wolf constantly and calling anyone who does not agree with you a fascist. I have no clue whether or not this person's a fascist. She could literally be a full-bred fascist, just pushing fascism all the time. And I would still have no clue whether or not she was a fascist because these people lie for a living. They spread hyperbole and disinformation or misinformation, whichever one you want to call it, for a living. And that is the problem with Crime Wolf constantly. People on the left that I'm sure are still listening right now is that when the situation arises and you really need to let everyone know, hey, this is dangerous. We got ourselves a true blood fascist on our hands and they're about to start killing a bunch of people. No one's going to believe you because you do this all the time. Why did I look at all of these news articles and the only assumption I came out with was that there's no way this girl is a fascist? That's, that's all I can believe is that there's no way she's a fascist. I have no clue. I'm not saying she isn't, but that's my assumption. That's their fault, not mine. Okay. Now let's talk about fascism here for a minute. In Italy, they have one of history's famous fascist dictators, Benito Mussolini. I'm going to go through a few things and then we're going to play the speech and I'll have to read it for you uh, that, that, um, that she made. So let's talk about Italian fascism. Unfortunately, it sounds uh, eerily familiar. This is from Wikipedia, so you know it's true. Italian fascism promoted a corporatist economic system whereby employer and employee syndicates are linked together in associations to collectively represent the nation's economic producers and work alongside the state to set national economic policy. This economic system intended to resolve class conflict through collaboration between the classes. Italian fascism opposed liberalism, especially classical liberalism, which some of you may be familiar with, which fascist leaders denounced as the debacle of individualism. Fascism was opposed to socialism because of the opposition to nationalism, of socialism's opposition to nationalism. But it was also opposed to the uh, to conservatism, it believed the success of Italian nationalism required respect for tradition and clear sense of a shared past among the Italian people. And when it comes to the economic stuff, ooh, that sounds a little bit familiar, just somewhat. Here's a few quotes. I went through and got some quotes from Mussolini today, and then we're going to listen to her speech. Now I don't know everything about her. I don't know everything about her at all. I don't know much. I don't know much about the new prime minister. But let's go through. This fascism, the actual fascist dictator that Italy had, Mussolini, which is what everyone is trying to draw the comparisons to now because it is Italy returning to fascism from a party that is rooted, that has neo-fascist roots. 
Here's a good one. Fascism should be more appropriately, should more appropriately be called corporatism because it is a merger of state and corporate power. From Mussolini. Once again, does that sound a little bit familiar to everyone? I don't want to sound the alarms or cry wolf here or anything, but we've been telling you guys for a few years now that we were actually most closely represented fascism already. I'm not saying that because of Trump. I'm not saying it because of Biden. I'm saying it because of the system that we have set up. We do have a very corporatist system because of all the power that the state has over the economy. The corporations then get in bed with the state and those people work together. It's kind of the definition of fascism. Fascism, here's another quote from Mussolini. Fascism entirely agrees with Mr. Maynard Keynes, despite Keynes' prominent position as a liberal. In fact, Mr. Keynes' excellent little book, The End of Laissez-Faire, might, so far as it goes, serve as a useful introduction to fascist economics. There is scarcely anything to object to in it, and there is much to applaud. As a quote from Mussolini about Keynes. Here's another one. The fascist conception of the state is all-embracing. Outside of it, no human or spiritual values can exist, much less have value. Thus understood, fascism is totalitarian, and the fascist state, a synthesis and a unit inclusive of all values, interprets, develops, and potentiates the whole life of a people. That's great. Fascism accepts the individual only insofar as his interests coincide with the state's. The sounding, I mean, you know, when you think about this, because people just get called fascist on a daily basis. And of course, it rejects individualism. It does have the state and the corporate power together. Uh, Ronald Reagan once said in the 80s that the left more closely resembled fascism. And I'm inclined to agree, although they don't quite have the nationalist aspect that fascism would normally have. When it comes to all these things, fascism, communism, socialism, I don't find them to be all that different, really, at all. I don't see that the communism, the worker-owned, any of that is, is ever possible whatsoever, like even feasible to attempt. So it ended up with state socialism or state communism, which is basically fascism. Of course, without the private ownership, uh, it's all so close to me. It's really just a circle. Instead of a line where they're completely opposed from one another, and I know people have the horseshoe theory also, I really just see it as a circle with all of those right next to each other. And then on the other side is a good morning Liberty podcast. The state reserves the right to be the sole interpreter of the needs of society from Mussolini against individualism. The fascist conception is for the state liberalism denied the state in the interest of the particular individual. Fascism reaffirms the state as the true reality of the individual. Okay. So let's listen to this, and I'll, it's, you're really going to be listening to me reading this for you, although I'll, I'll try to play it in a way that you can still hear her, and I'll try to not make it confusing. So here is, here's a new prime minister. Uh, right here on the screen says, please answer me these questions. 
This is about what we are doing here today. Why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There is a single answer to all of these questions. Because it defines us. Because it is our identity. Because everything that defines us is now an enemy. For those who would like to no longer have an identity, like us no longer have an identity, and to simply be perfect consumer slaves, and so they attack national identity, they attack religious identity, they attack gender identity, they attack family identity. I can't define myself as Italian, Christian, woman, mother. No. I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two. I must be a number. Because when I'm only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave and at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. That's the reason why... That's why we inspire so much fear. That's why this event inspires so much fear. Because we do not want to be numbers, we will defend the value of the human being. Every single human being. Because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. And like it or not, that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God, country, and family. Those things that disgust people so much, we will do it to defend our freedom. Because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. That is our mission. That is why I came here today. Chesterton wrote, more than a century ago, Fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in the summer. That time has arrived. We are ready. Thank you. I'll put a link to the video in the show notes because I'm sure me reading it makes it all super easy to understand. For sure. Um, okay, so what did we just hear? Maybe there's a little bit of nationalism in there, which I think everyone's really going towards right now. Heck, even it sounds like the Biden administration's going a little bit nationalist here lately. But like, like Costco said, she was yelling in her speech, and Hitler also yelled. And I think she might have waved her arms around a little bit. So Hitler did that. I think Mussolini uh, also did that. And also, if you want to draw more comparisons, Mussolini was Italian, and... She is also Italian. And what else are you left with other than the fact that she's a fascist, of course, just like those people. But what she just said, there's a reason that I read all those Mussolini quotes before him. I know that there's different brands of fascism. Did any of that seem to line up? Now, I know that's just rhetoric. That's what someone's saying. You want to look at someone's actions, not at their words. Words are meaningless. Look at what their actual actions are. So that has yet to be seen. But any, just looking at her rhetoric, does it sound like the rhetoric of Mussolini, who they're clearly trying to draw comparisons to right now? Uh, Dan just uncovered something else that's very important too. She does drink water, I bet. And uh, I do think one of the earliest, uh, one of the earliest television broadcasts I've even seen, I think I saw Hitler drink water one time. So... And then there is that whole fact that they both require oxygen, and I think they uh, eat sometimes multiple times a day, which is one of the clearest ways that you can tell someone's fascist. I'll leave you with this before we get out of here. Back to this headline, a party of neo-fascist roots, one big in Italy. And that's what all of the American publications are running with right now. 
Now I get it, and I'm not going to pretend to know anything about her political party, how they were formed, who the members of the party are, who runs the organization, any of that stuff. It's hard enough trying to figure that out for right here in the U.S. But my warning to the American publications is that you need to be careful when you talk about a political party's roots and then using that to call someone a fascist. Because what if, what if someone went back to the Democrat party's roots? What if we talked about people who were really early in the Democratic Party or the person who started it? I'm saying if you're talking about the roots of a party, well, look, this was started by people who were neo-fascists, and they very well might have been. In fact, since they literally had a fascist leader, well, I would say it's uh, probable, okay? But you got to be careful when you just look at the roots of a political party and then use that to say, well, this person is a fascist because the people who started this party, well, they were fascists. Because what about the people who started the Democrat Party? What about the fact that it was the Democrats who were fighting so hard for slavery? What about Martin Van Buren, who was the eighth president of the U.S., who started the Democrat Party back in like 1828 or something like that? Well, he did like the final enforcement of the Indian Removal Act, all right, tell one of the generals that they had to forcibly move all those who had not yet complied. Uh, That wasn't good. You want to talk about the roots of a party, is what I'm saying. He also viewed, just looking, I was reading stuff on history.com today, he viewed abolitionism as the greatest threat to the nation's unity. Abolitionism, those are people who wanted to abolish slavery. He viewed that as the greatest threat to the nation's unity, and he resisted the slightest interference with slavery in the states wherever it existed. He did not, now you could look at that and say, well, he didn't want to divide the country. All right, he didn't want to do that. Um, he did seem to be okay with slavery, he, although he did call it a moral evil, a moral evil. Those two words, I would say normally don't go together, whatever, does seem to be some indication that he did own at least a slave. It turns out he got rid of all of his papers, didn't keep any journals, didn't keep anything. They basically got nothing on the guy except for him talking about exchanging $50 for some guy named Tom. I don't don't know. I don't know. And of course, there were four uh, slaves working in the house uh, whenever he was uh, Secretary of State, I believe, but that, that's none of my business. I'm not, I, none of that stuff matters because it's 2022. None of that stuff matters. What, what I'm saying is if you're going to look at a political party and talk about the people who started it and then apply those people's ideologies and their beliefs to the party a uh, hundred years later or 90 years later, or however long later it is right now, probably closer than now, let's say 50 years, whatever it is, political parties change. Well, haven't the Democrats made the argument that of course that, yeah, the Democrats will, uh, they were against getting rid of slavery. You know, it was actually the Republicans. It was, you know, Abraham Lincoln was Republican, but we went through a massive party shift and actually the parties are complete opposite of what they used to be, which is a convenient idea to have. That's a very convenient position for people on the left to have. But, you know, we went through this big political party shift 
So I would just think that if you're more on the Democratic Party alignment, you would be careful discussing the roots of someone else's political party and using that to uh, associate them with whoever it was that started the party. It's just not very smart, in my opinion. Everyone, if you enjoyed today's show, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell the children that they need to listen to Good Morning Liberty. Share it from your phone, from your computer, from the iPad or whatever else. Go to every single website and follow and like and subscribe and comment and do whatever it is that you got to do to help us get the word out there. All right. We rely on you guys to grow this show, although we are about to start doing some ads. So that'd be good. Go to joingmail.com, six bucks a month. That'll get you in the group, hanging out. You heard me talking back and forth with people in the group throughout this entire episode. Don't you want me to talk to you back and forth during the episode? That way you can show your family. Hey, look, Nate said something to me. I don't, I don't know if that's your voice, but if it is your voice, I'm, I'm talking to you. Yeah, so go to joingmail.com. All right. If you do all those things, then we will be back probably tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning. Liberty.